Hello and welcome to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business in the community podcast in partnership with One Young World. I'm delighted to have two great guests today from two global giants. We have Giancarlo De Vici, president and CEO of Unisquare, a technology business and one of the fastest growing US companies. I'm also joined by Johnny Jacobs, One Young World ambassador and finance director of Starbucks. Now, in this episode, we're going to explore workplace culture and mental health in the workplace, two extremely important topics and ones that have really come to the fore, even more so over the past two years, as companies battle it out for talent, see the demand for creating great places to work and support their people with the most important issue, mental health, right now. Well, I'm delighted to host The Lens, and I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into the conversation. So let's uh, do that. Uh, Giancarlo, Johnny, welcome to The Lens podcast. Giancarlo, you're joining us from Guadalajara in Mexico. So we start a little bit up with your business background. You started as a, I suppose, a bit of an entrepreneur when you were, you were younger. You had a business at the age of uh, 21, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I started in the gift industry. It was actually a, a, a canning manufacturing company, and I ran that for about 10 years. My brother had started this company, Unisquare, and I moved over and, and uh, invested some money into it. My background is, is in engineering, so it wasn't that far of a stretch. Then I started learning really the ropes of this business and then growing into the role, really. I've been CEO for the last um, three years now. And Unosquare has really grown in your time as CEO. Is it a position that you relish? Do you like being a leader? You never think about what it's going to become, right? Once you come into it, you realize that you just have to really mentor and enable people around you to do their best work. I think this is our seventh year in a row for, for the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the U.S. So mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Yeah. And tell us exactly what it is that you do. It's software consulting. So if you think about clients having software projects, digital transformation projects, what we do is we help clients realize those visions with either talent or the process and project scope that that they will need to use uh, in order to achieve that. Okay. Well, let's uh, move to Johnny now. Um, Starbucks, everybody's very familiar with uh, that particular brand, Johnny. But tell us a little bit about your upbringing and where your career journey to date. Thank you very much, Ned. Great to be with you both today. I was born in Glasgow in a working class family. Uh, Probably fair to say I had a relatively troubled uh, childhood. Um, As you can imagine how grateful I feel today to be a finance director at a great business such as Starbucks and also be able to to give back in other ways uh, with some other positions and also working with One Young World. Johnny, you mentioned you'd had a troubled background. Would you mind going into it ever so slightly for us? I always felt a little bit different growing up. I didn't really get on with people in the playground when I was younger. I was sort of bullied and gone to fights and that type of thing. And I also managed to acquire a scar in the middle of my forehead. So I always felt a little bit physically different as well. And when I was 13, like many parents up and down the line, my parents were divorced um, But I found myself in a situation where I felt like I was bringing myself up alone. And it was really tough when I got to the lowest of lowest places that I wouldn't want anybody to 
get where we constantly question, um, I suppose, my, my place on earth. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And there probably are, are many others out there that have experienced very dark times. For you to go through that at such a young age, can you shed some light on, on how you managed to turn things around? Well, I just see myself as somebody who's just cracking on with, with life, really. When I was in that situation, you know, a normal day for me would be doing a long walk to school, come back, go be the supermarket, try and work out what to have for dinner, do your homework, do the household chores, you know, sort out the house insurance, you know, the standard stuff you do when you're 14 years old. And, and I guess from that, I probably built up quite a, a capacity and also the ability to do multiple things at once. And I think that's probably stood me in quite a good stead as I've gone on into my career. Giancarlo, you're listening to that story. I haven't really asked you about your upbringing. Was it uh, in any way similar to Johnny's? I was brought up mostly in Mexico, uh, pieces of my life in the U.S. and pieces of my life in Italy. Uh, my dad's Italian, and so we traveled around, but we were a very united nuclear family. So I went to school in Canada for the two years that I went to school because I didn't finish when, when the family kind of got a little bit torn apart. Okay, so it just sort of illustrates how leaders can come from any walk of life. Now, you're both very much involved in looking after people. And we see much more now that business and organisations um, are really having to think about their people first before anything else. Business in the community has been asking a lot of questions around that recently. And you know, uh, what if your job was was good for you? Some staggering statistics that came out in their report, especially around mental health. Even in that first year of the pandemic, 41% of those surveyed had experienced mental health symptoms caused or worsened by work. Giancarlo, as a leader of, of a massive business and with a responsibility, I suppose, for, for, for many people, just share with us, your people thoughts on how you've developed a good workplace culture. I truly believe that everything stems out of principles. In my opinion, if you set up an organization with principles or, or values, you know, every, more people might know them as values, right? If you set them up with values that are clear to everybody. So in other words, how is the organization going to behave? If you're not there, how is the organization going to behave if you know, the decisions are being taken by the managers that are working with you or by the people uh, that are team leads. So managers of managers that are working with, are those going to be the same kind of decisions that you're going to take? And so if the answer is yes, it means that you've set a really strong principle base or value base workplace where, you know, people can feel safe because they know exactly the reaction of the organization to X or Y factors. I believe that if you genuinely take care of your employees, everything else gets gets solved. They they are your window to your clients. They are your window to your stakeholders. They are your window to your services. And tell me about your five Fs that you have. A lot of businesses just hire for the skill sets, especially in engineering where we are. And we truly try to hire for a, for a cultural fit. So the five Fs are... Are literally those values: fit, family, freedom, fortune, and fun. That's our that's our five apps. You know, I can go probably like two hours explaining them and, and how they work for our business. It's really something very special. It's telling people that it's first and foremost really how they feel 
in, in the organization, how they fit into the organization, the freedom that they will have in the organization. When we say family, for example, we truly mean like extended community, if you will, because obviously a family is not replaceable, but saying we truly genuinely care about your needs. So some people might need one month break because they just got burned out. Some people might need to go to a conference to continue training and learning what they are interested in. And so it works differently for everybody. And genuinely caring about that is is where I believe we are very, very different. Because a lot of people say people first. Very few companies truly are that. And, and people continue thinking that people first might mean, you know, ping pong tables and free coffee and stuff. I mean, you know, I hope you guys have free coffee. <laughs> Johnny, so, but. Well, free coffee is always a bonus in my book, definitely. But I'm just wondering what way your people uh, work primarily. Uh, you're operating across the globe. Tell us a little bit about your workforce. How do they work? Are they working remotely? Are they office-based? How has that changed? I think that's the real challenge of our time. So right now, we started as remote able. So 12, 13 years ago, we started as being some of our people were remote. Um, there's always been office space. So we have office space in our main delivery centers, Belfast. We have office space in, in Guadalajara, in uh, Bolivia, in Colombia. Probably 80 or 85% of the people are remote. I've seen a lot of companies going back and saying, Everybody needs to come back to the office and then they're changing their mind three months later and then changing their man, their mind three months later again. And so I think it's going to be really about collaboration. It's super important to meet people face to face. Our brain works differently when you meet somebody face to face. When you meet them and have conversations with them face to face, our brain really works in a very, very different way. Is it harder then to stick to your values when you are working remotely? You know, you could see how that was easy in in the workplace, but to have fun, to feel like you fit, to be part of a family. And is it harder to absolutely stay true to those? I would totally say it is much harder. It's much more sophisticated to come up with ways to empower them because everybody knows this, right? Like the office is a house or the home of the company. And so imagine trying to bring up your kids in a remote way. So... If your employees are not seeing you act one way or another, and it's just a very personal or independent view on the organization, it, it, it becomes a little difficult to share that experience with other people. It's an interesting challenge for sure. It is absolutely. And Johnny, let's bring you in there. I'm sure you were listening um, with great interest because you do so much good work now speaking about mental well-being in organizations Um, and it's great to hear from a great leader and it's brilliant to have all of these values but this is such a challenge right now isn't it making sure that really the staff are being looked after that listening to people uh, getting people to talk making sure that people are staying connected and I think conversations for you they're key. Absolutely. And Sarah, just to pick up on something that you had said before around some of the research and into the rates of mental health challenges that we're seeing since the onset of the pandemic, rates of things like depression, anxiety have gone up exponentially, up hugely since the start. Loneliness, for example, went up from 10% to 25% of people said they felt lonely. And I think this conversation is a great conversation because with that in mind, what can businesses and organisations do to support their colleagues and their teams? In the UK, for example, the cost to business is £45 billion a year, the cost of mental health. It's one trillion globally. So therefore, if we're now seeing people around the world challenged, 
would that therefore not cycle back into business? And therefore, what can businesses do to be better equipped to try and support those colleagues when they do come back into the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say also, how can organizations prepare better for that? We had some real, real genuine issues with some employees about mental health. And it's very difficult as an organization to try to understand what we can do about it. You're saying like, hey, listen, I'm trying to be very, very careful. I'm trying to be facilitating and accommodating to everybody. If you want to be in the office a little bit, you know, you can come to the office because you feel lonely, because you feel stressed. You get to a point where you're kind of blocked, right? Because you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to put in danger the health of everybody in the organization. And we had a couple cases like that, and it was very, very difficult to understand what to do. If you can share some ideas around that, I would love that. Johnny, over to you. Do you have any ideas? I mean, it is, it is often the case, though, that, you know, the businesses want to do something, but they just don't know what. Mm-hmm. Say, Roger and Carlo, they, they are the, the big questions. The, the organisations that, that I think are doing really well in this space are the ones that are very thoughtfully thinking about how can they create an environment that breaks stigmas around mental health in general, but also then create an environment with, the right tools and culture that supports people with their positive mental well-being and a positive mental fitness. And I think those organisations are the ones that you may ask yourself, will they be better placed then to actually ride the wave and to really um, support their organisational growth as well as doing the right thing? But just also remind ourselves that every 40 seconds, somebody takes their own life across the world through suicide. And that's 800,000 people a year so it's a huge number absolutely huge number if I think back to some of the great work when I was at Cladis a global snacking business that support that um, has brands such as McVitie's uh, and Godiva chocolate we really got behind mental health and created an integrated plan that ultimately ended up using the McVitie's brand for social good and it became the first social partnership in 180 years to get the message of mental health out there. But it was done also by ensuring that the right things were done internally around culture, around training, around education, around tone from the top, and around really trying to pull all those levers to ensure that you can create that environment to support people in tough times, but also promote positive well-being. And what was the most positive thing? Do you think that obviously the results, you know, you, you have to look at outcomes all the time. You know, has the culture changed? Are people coming forward? Are they asking for help? How do we stay connected now? And how do we listen in this remote working environment? Yeah, I think you touch on two really important points there, Sarah. One is listening. So if you think of the, the McVitie's with the UK mental health charity mind so the strap line was about let's talk be kind to your mind let's talk and there are other organizations will talk about ask twice or they'll say how are you really and if you can create that environment where it's where you feel like you can talk and you can listen and a problem shared is so important mm-hmm. organizations that create a sense of psychological safety in other words where it's okay to fail and you can share ideas and you can fail fast and move on actually drive company growth as well. I've also um, heard that if you have, you know, a leader or someone senior in the organisation who becomes that champion for mental health, who talks about their own experience, that power of vulnerability, um, and also then you feel more like you can come forward. And I can remember an experience myself in my career where I've 
struggled with anxiety, gone to talk about it, and my boss said, I have just no experience of mental health issues at all, so I, I, I don't know what to do here, but I could refer you on. So um, is that something that you would recommend, having that senior person speak honestly? M- massively important. Now, I remember years ago uh, when we were trying to continue to, to really spread the message of mental health. We had an organisational town hall and loads of people came to this. In fact, it became one of the highest attended town halls, which tells you something, by the way. The meeting was about half an hour, 29 minutes in, and right at the end, one of the senior execs stood up and shared a story. 30 seconds into it, we got emotional and had to sit down. And it was unbelievable what happened in that moment. Because when that senior leader displayed that vulnerability and that emotion, everyone forgot about the 29 minutes that happened before, and he just spoke about this particular person that shared their story. And that was so powerful. And I think sharing stories can really, really help. I remember years ago, so I had just become the Chartered Accountant, the Young Chartered Accountant of the Year. It was through the, the Institute of Chartered Accountants for Scotland, which that was how I ended up at One Young World. Anyway, as part of that, I had to give a speech at the admissions ceremony um, for those people that become accountants that year. And I'm somebody, by the way, who is not very gregarious. I'm not particularly um, you know, extroverted or outgoing. So the thought of giving a talk to the best part of 2,000 people in like 10 countries literally would give me heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. And I was so nervous, didn't sleep for a month. So, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to go up and I'm going to talk about mental health. Anyways, I stood up, I spoke about mental health and I came back down. And the amount of people that came up to me afterwards and said, me just talking about mental health made such a big difference. And there's an amazing saying that says, each time we tell a story, we send a lifeboat of hope. And I maybe realised in that moment that perhaps my role was to send more lifeboats. The fact that you faced that fear and you exposed that vulnerability, because a lot of people still, whatever we've done and we've been working so hard to reduce the stigma around talking about mental health. But actually, it's the bravest thing you could do to say, you know what, and you're not weak, you're really, really strong that way. Giancarlo, is that something that you do at Uno Square? Do you have um, a mental health champ? Yeah, we actually do. It all. It actually all started in, uh, in Belfast. Our uh, global head of HR is in, is in Belfast. Her name is Rasheen, and she started a, a campaign about mental health. And so what gets me excited, right, is that some of these people that I'm referring to, they shared already their issues, how they thought we could help. Organizationally, obviously, a lot of the things that they suggested we did seems to me that it's very positive in that, in that sense, right? What we have not done yet which I think is a really cool idea, is having a session, town hall, or a group setting where we can share some of the stories. But what we have never done is what Johnny was just referring to right now, which is that sharing, that storytelling. And coming from a commercial background, I can tell you, yeah, storytelling is is the end all for connecting with, with other people. That sounds like a great, great idea. Thank you for that, Johnny. Yeah, so watch uh, this space, definitely. Um, But, you know, it's going to take an awful lot for people to do that and go through that and actually get up there, maybe face a fear of public speaking and then talking in front of all of their colleagues and their peers and fearing judgment, fearing humiliation, fearing shame. But actually, Johnny's experience was the complete opposite of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was something I was quite concerned about. And every single time I do it, I still say to myself, will this make a difference? But, But it does. 
It really, really does. That's a great question to ask yourself, isn't it? Will this make a difference? Brilliant. And business in the community, I already uh, referred to their report, What If Your Job Was Good For You? And I know that the report recently created two calls to action for employers. One, achieve parity between the management of physical health and safety and mental health and safety with an open and accountable culture. But two, this struck me just off the back of something Giancarlo said at the start, enable employees to co-create their own good jobs supported by managers and aligned with organisational practices and policies. So Giancarlo, you said that somebody might need a bit more time off than someone else, but how flexible are you? I think that's hard, but uh, I tend to be very, 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 very flexible because I think there's good nature in human beings, right? I, I don't think there's bad nature. So are some people going to take advantage of the uh, system? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. But some people will take advantage of the system no matter what. So I think it's it's in our best interest to really be as flexible as possible. A, the workplace should be where we go do our best work, where we're creative, where we are excited, where we're passionate about what we're doing. Because as I tell all my employees, right, if, in the money war, it's very hard to win. You know, if you're only going to say, okay, this is going to be a terrible job, but I'm just going to pay you the most amount of money in the industry. The next company is going to come over and do that three months later, and especially in our industry. Yeah, you obviously have to pay well, but the most important part of it is not that. When all your needs are covered for, your economic needs are covered for. And then you also have passion. You have the ability to create. You have the ability to you know, work with people that you like. I think that becomes really, really important. And if on top of that, you can have, yeah, flexible, anything you need, right? I know that that has come out of the pandemic. I think the trust issue, that kind of needing to know where everyone is, can I see a green light on? Are they at their desk? You know, uh, there were such issues around absenteeism, presenteeism, leaveism, all of those isms. But trust is massive and the work still got done. Yeah, well, and, and the thing is, we have to think about our current setup of, or our understood setup of, office space and and why we are set up that way is post-World War II, right? Like we we have not evolved into the information age setup. We have not thought about, okay, now with all this information, with all this connectivity, what do we do with it? Do we still need to be sitting next to each other all the time to ensure that we're working? As you're talking, I'm I'm thinking about Giancarlo's five Fs, which, by the way, I absolutely uh, I love your five Fs, and one of them is freedom. Oh. So, well, actually, I'm not sure what your intentional freedom was in there, Giancarlo, but there's something in there around clearly giving colleagues and employees the opportunity to make decisions and be empowered. And I think there's a big there's a big part of that around really recognizing that that, that colleagues and employees and our teams we know how to do our jobs. And I think if we can have this opportunity to contribute to that um, and to perhaps define, you know, the destiny or to lay out, you know, other ways of doing things, I think that should be welcome. Absolutely. Great point. What do you think, Giancarlo? I love it. Freedom of productivity, freedom of creativity, freedom of telling your client, telling the organization what they should do best. It's not. It just doesn't mean that some days you might work 10 hours a day and some days you might work three. That means having the actual freedom to propose change to impact the organization and your client's organization. So, Johnny, in terms of Starbucks, then, what do they like to work for? They're obviously a global giant. Uh, everybody recognizes uh, the, the brand. But what is the business doing that goes on beyond the reach of its own business operations? Is it a good business to work for? 
Starbucks for me is an incredible organization. We have an amazing, amazing culture and we've got a wonderful mission, really, which is to inspire and nurture the human spirit, uh, one cup, one community at a time. We are a people business that serves coffee. We are about connection. So when you walk into a store that you know you, you feel really good about the community. And we do lots of things like you'd expect, you know, with lots of large uh, companies in the space of, you know, for the planet and, and, and for our people. Yeah, and I mean, we're not, we haven't really talked to you about accountancy much, but I, I, I get a sense that you're allowed a lot of freedom to talk as a mental health ambassador. So that's wonderful. But I want to talk to you a little bit about also being a One Young World ambassador. Um, what does that actually mean and how have you personally benefited from it? What I don't use these words lightly say that one young world definitely changed my life. One young world is huge gathering, it brings together the best part, 200 nationalities, a few thousand people uh, over a number of days. And it brings young leaders together to talk about social, economical um, issues and how we can all create positive change. It's, it's one of the most empowering experiences uh, I've ever had. And to be sat in the audience hearing from current and past presidents and CEOs and various other world leaders was just off the scale incredible. It just gave me a lot of confidence that perhaps I could also do something to try and influence positive change. And given your background and given the, the struggles you'd had, was that completely transformative? Had you, had you seen yourself in that way before? The fact that you were even attending the summit, though, tells me that maybe you were, you were heading towards, towards this. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know what was the, the chicken and what was the egg on that one. I mean, I was as surprised as anybody that the Institute of Chartered Accountants would ever want me to be their, their ambassador and go and represent them over, over in Colombia. There was just something in that moment where maybe I'd found my own purpose. And maybe my purpose was to try and drive the mental health and wellbeing agendas in business. And, and when I came back, that's what I've tried to do since and I feel incredibly grateful. I think accountants and finance professionals have got a huge role to play. If you think about it, we're right at the heart of organizations. We're close to decision makers, close to stakeholders, senior stakeholders, and of course understand money and budget. Mm -hmm. And I think if the accountants start talking about mental health and well-being, then we can actually rise it or we can actually raise it even higher up the strategic agenda and organisation. It was great to hear that um, moment where you discovered your purpose. What would you say now back to that young boy of 13, 14, um, if you could advise him now? Yeah, that's a, mm -hmm. that, that's a tough one. I, and there's a bridge that runs through Glasgow called the Kingston Bridge. I don't know why, but I always had this fear that I would live under that bridge one day, that I wouldn't have any support and I would, whatever, and I would be there. And that was always my, my fear. Um, and I think it was fear for me that's kept me going. I've always been running 100 miles an hour because I've, I had this fear of having nothing. Um, and I think if I was going back to that 13-year-old boy, I would probably say, first of all, talk. But also I would say, try and enjoy life a little bit. I went to uni and I was just focused on trying to get a good degree because I felt if I didn't have it, I'd be living under the bridge. So, I, I, and I probably didn't really enjoy the likes of university as much as I should have done. So for me, I think it's having that greater balance in life and being able to enjoy the moment. Yeah, that must be awful just. And so many people will relate to what you've just said, feeling fearful all the time. Giancarlo, can you relate to that at all? 
there was a there was a really difficult time for me. I had been running that candle business that I'm referring to, right? And then it after 10 years it it actually it burnt to the ground. There was a few months of real stress. Let's just recap. You had a candle business and people could chuckle yeah. at that, but actually it burnt <laughs> down. It did. What happened? It did. There was an electrical short and I'm talking about a big three, 4,000 square meters of factory. So it's a big factory, 250 people. But the reality is that after that happens, it's normal to have those accounts payables, accounts receivables, lots of credit from your suppliers things like that. And then we have banking credit lines and all those things. And they just continued going, right? Like mm. they don't stop or they don't stop immediately, I should say. And insurance takes a while, you know, it takes three, four, five months to get it sorted out. So it's real, real difficult times of, 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 of stress. I remember <laughs> there were, there were entire days that I just would spend in bed thinking about what to do. At such a young age and everything was going so well. And then for that to just disappear, overnight. Um, but isn't it incredible, the learnings and the life lessons from, you know, had that not happened, you wouldn't be sitting perhaps where you are today. Oh, 100%, 10 years of university, right? So <laughs> without it, it's uh, probably wouldn't be here for sure. Wow. Um, is it true as well, you actually dropped out of engineering school in your second year to work full time. So you didn't see uni through? I didn't. We were living in Mexico. My parents were going through a bit of a difficult time financially. I was actually a pretty good student and I was uh, going to school in um, University of Toronto and uh, but they ran out of money. It was difficult because I had to come back and, and kind of the answer to that was starting up the scandal business that I'm talking about because it's my mom used to make candles like for fun. Yeah, but So it was financial first... reasons that you actually dropped yeah. out. Gosh, okay. Right. And was that difficult for you or did you know this was yeah, just what I had super. to Right. And was there it's been super because I, I really liked school, you know. Yeah. But and what way did it make you feel? I've always been an optimist. You know, I've always liked the challenge. You know, in our cultures, it's university is pretty important. It's something that gets asked here and there. It's kind of shaped, obviously, where you are today mm -hmm. and, the, and the person that you are, as have all of our life experiences. Johnny talked about knowing your purpose. Do you know what your purpose is? I think I have a very aligned purpose right now. To me, it's bridging opportunities to the people that work with us, bridging opportunities be between the markets um, where we are, where we have a presence and, um, and bridging those opportunities with um, where we have delivery centers for those people. And we see lots of success stories where they start working with us and maybe then they move on to a Microsoft or a Google or a Facebook. And, and that's exciting to me. You become that bridge of, of true opportunity to grow a career, you know, and obviously the people that stay here, you know, a lot of, a lot of our employees started just as software engineers or QA folks, and they are now managers. They are now managing budgets, different pieces of the organization, delivery, people's success. And so to me, it's very clear. How can I empower people through bridging through being the connector, basically. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Okay. And you've recently, I understand, come into a membership with business in the community. What do you believe the organization will help you do? What got us excited, me and Roshin, our global head of HR, is literally all the programs that are already set up. It takes a lot of time and energy trying to come up with and figure out programs. 
that also are going to involve you in the community with other companies that are interested in doing the same things as you are. Even though, yes, talent's a big stress point for the industry, we are very united in terms of what things that we want to do together to make our communities better because we have a big responsibility for that. And so I found it very exciting that there were a lot of programs already put together that really matched what we were trying to do and the methodology for those programs were was very, very well put together, right? Very, very interesting. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I have a question now for both of you first. So Giancarlo, I'll stay with you first of all. They say it takes about 24 to 26 years to become a CEO. Uh, what would your message to young people in school right now who will enter the workplace in a few years' time, how would you challenge them to think about their future? I would say to not think that it takes 26 years to become a <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> No, but I, I, in, in, all, in all reality, I would say take ownership of whatever you do. If it's the smallest job that you can find right out of school, take ownership for that, become visible. So work on your social skills, work on the technical skills within within the organization. You can truly go up in the ranks really quickly, I believe, if you become entrepreneurial within. So that's that would be my advice. Brilliant. And Johnny, same question to you. Oh, yeah, I love uh, Giancarlo's answer. And as I'm thinking, actually, maybe the question is about how long should it take to become a leader? But yeah. then you ask yourself, what is leadership? And actually, can we not display leadership from quite a, a young age and maybe not have to wait 24 years <laughs> to, to do that yeah. think about your passion and try and incorporate it into your job think about what is your purpose but I guess don't put yourself under too much pressure to work mm-hmm. out what that is because it will come and it will morph over time and you can see that evolve I also think you know chase experiences and um, not job titles because it's experiences that can help us grow and develop and I guess the last thing I would just think about is think about the future that you want to leave your kids has never been so important for me. I suppose then as dads and as leaders what world do you hope your young people will be growing up into? I think it's important to a world that's fair I think across so many different facets of of life we've, we've lost a lot of that and also a world that's got a fair equilibrium that's that, that, that's united that really supports each other and supports you know this wonderful planet maybe that is just too much of a dream well that would be wonderful Giancarlo I think we need to continue fighting on education together I think education can solve the climate crisis it can solve for inclusion it can solve for a number of things as outcomes I love what Johnny said all of those things are so so incredibly important right what do we put into it so that those outcomes can be possible. I think education needs to be the name of our future game. So a final question, uh, given that Johnny's here from Starbucks, if you could have a Starbucks with anyone and they have to be alive, who would it be and why, Giancarlo? I would probably say somebody like Simon Sinek or Adam Grant or these new modern workplace and people philosophers, where I truly see that they are trying to shift the way companies and, and people think about workplace. I start with why is always a great driver for me, a bit like Johnny, yeah. you know, will it make a difference? It's like, why am I doing this? Why, why, why? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And Johnny, what about you? Who would you have a coffee with? The person that really comes to mind is the great football manager, Alex Ferguson. Not just because he's from a similar part of Glasgow that I'm from, not too far away, but his approach to junior talent, his vision, his passion, his determination, his grit. 
I like it. That sounds like he would be definitely... Uh, would you get a word in edgeways, do you think? But I'm not sure. Guys, it has been so fabulous uh, talking to you today. There's been so much that I've learned and that everybody tuning in will have learned about about the future of organisations, about the future of leadership, about being individual, about having a purpose, about not living in fear all of the time. Thanks so much, guys, for joining me on the Lens podcast today. Giancarlo De Vici, President and CEO of Unosquare, and Johnny Jacobs, Finance Director of Starbucks EMEA. Really important conversation to have. Thank you for your openness and your honesty. Great learnings from you both. I hope that everyone enjoyed it just as much as I did. See you next time. You've been listening to The Lens with me, Sarah Travers. The Lens is a business and the community podcast partnered with One Young World. If you like what you've heard, then please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from as it really makes a difference. Thank you. Thank you.